0: Just before, even before we dive into the word, uh, a few weeks ago, uh, I took our youth kids to the retreat. Uh, it was great. Uh, it was a good time, but uh, pre- preparation was really difficult because, as you know, a few weeks ago, uh, there was a snowstorm, heavy snowstorm, and it was like uh, the forecast was changing every single day, every single hour, to be honest. Like, it said it's, it's, it's going to snow, it's not going to snow, and there's going to rain, and there's snow again. So we're, we're really frustrated. And as a as a past, youth pastor, I was so frustrated because so many parents, so many teachers would constantly text me, like, are we going or not going? And, and how am I supposed to know, right? I'm, I'm not storming X-Men, like, I can't control the weather. So I'm like, I don't know. So we decided to go. You know what? If you're going to die there, we're going to die. You know, that's like a prayer of Esther right there, right? The faith of Esther. So we went, but it was great. We had an awesome time. The speaker was amazing, Students had so much fun, but most importantly, there were so many faithful leaders from uh, New Life Fellowship, uh, and they're serving right now for 1130 service at, at, at the main chapel, uh, main uh, youth chapel right now. So I'm just, I just want to say thank you, and I appreciate all the things that you guys do. If you are looking for somewhere to serve, man, youth ministry is a place to be, just letting you know. Um, but anyways... When we were in the retreat, um, I was spending time, like, whenever there's, like, lunch, breakfast, dinner, I try to sit with kids who are sitting by themselves in the table, right? So uh, I, every meal, I would sit with different kids and try to get to, do, get to know their names and try to say hi and hello and, uh, for, to, to make my presence in their lives, right? And one time, I was sitting with a bunch of freshman girls, and <clears throat> they were talking, and I asked them, like, how is the retreat, Is it fun? Are you guys having a great time? And how was the speaker? And blah, blah, blah. And they were like, Speaker, so great. We are having so much fun. We thought we were not going to have a retreat, but now here we are. Like, it's awesome. It's great. And one of the girls says this. And he says, Pastor Alex, um, because I love you and I care for you, I want to give you two advices about your sermon. And I'm like, Oh, here it goes. Oh, my gosh. Uh, But it usually doesn't go well, right? So, but I wanted to act all cool. I'm like, yeah, whatever is building up the church of Christ, like I will be willing to accept your advices and I will try to change it so it will, it will make it better for you. And she, this is literally, she said, Pastor Alex, your message is fun and inspiring, but it is way too short. This is what she said. And she said, you're, you're too nice in your sermon. So... I, I, I mean, when I heard that, I was like, man, I should get some thank you Jesus from there. <laughs> um, that's what, what, the that's response that I got from our students, so I took it well. So um, if you thought you were going to be, like, you saw me and you were like, oh, man, this is going to be a short message and it's going to be a bunch of fun things, you're at the wrong time. <laughs> Just letting you know, you're at the wrong moment. Um, but all that said, let's open our Bible to ch- John chapter 15. Let's open up our Bible to John chapter 15, verse 1 through 11. John chapter 15, verse 1 through 11. And if you found it, let's all stand in the honor of reading God's word. Let's open our Bible to John chapter 15. And keep it open. Don't close your Bible because we're going to look through this whole passage. uh, And we're going to go deep, uh, really dig deep into the the verses that Jesus spoke for us. John chapter 15, verse 1 through 11. I am the true vine, and my Father is a dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This word of God. Can we pray one more time before we go start into the message? God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your abundant grace and unconditional love toward us. We thank you for your sovereignty. Enable this weak servant of yours to speak the very truth that you have prepared for us that you and you alone will be glorified in this place and you and you alone will be shown in this place. Help us to see things like you see. Help us to speak the words you speak. Help our heart to break for the things that break your heart. Open our ears to hear your message being proclaimed in this place. Help us love one another. Help us build a community of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have you ever heard this phrase or uh, a term, the Bathsheba Syndrome? The Bathsheba Syndrome. In 1993, these two college professors wrote a book t- titled, The Bathsheba Syndrome. And this book mainly talks about why successful and influential leaders in the world fall into ethical failures. And as you can tell from the title, This book starts with the story of King David, and especially his moral failure. As King David's, uh, uh, when when David was a king and reigned over Israel, uh, the, the, the kingdom was in peace and it was prosperous, and he felt like he didn't have to go into the battlefield anymore. So he stayed in the palace, and as he was walking in the palace, he saw a lady taking a bath. If if it is your first time in the church, don't don't worry about it. We're going to keep it PG-13 here, so you don't have to worry about it. Like, what are they talking about? But in this place, he knew who this fine lady was. Her name was Bathsheba, wife of David's faithful servant, Uriah. Who was Uriah? He was mighty 37 warriors who stood by David in the times when David was running for his life away from King Saul. But David, even though he knew who who this lady was, takes her with his, he follows his lustful desire and takes Uriah's wife as a result getting her pregnant. And to hide this fact, David sends Uriah to the very front line of the battlefield, literally murders him, and takes Bathsheba as his own wife. This whole book focuses on how successful and influential leaders in the world collapse like David Once known as the man after God's own heart, resulting in terrible crime and sin. And quoting the authors of this book, when things get comfortable and you become more and more successful, our moral principles are more often abandoned in the wake of success than as a result of competitive pressure. So success tends to escalate our belief that we have a special ability to manipulate and control our outcomes. Biblically speaking, you start thinking, I can do all things in me who gives me strength. But this does not only talk about physical power, but simply anyone who believes, man, I heard that thing is bad for people, but I'm going to be fine. I, it's my life. I know my life, so I don't care about what you think. I'm just going to be my way. So for Christians, as we get com- comfortable and rely and depend on ourselves, We start to drift away from God, and according to today's passage, we start not to abide in Jesus. As we start forty-day campaign on obedience, our first lesson is on being, and this lesson on being is all about us abiding. We only read first few chapters, uh, first uh, first few verses from chapter fifteen. Um, but John chapter 15, the day before his crucifixion, Jesus reminds three key relationships that every believers must manage. So this is like a final message uh, of Christ to the disciples, and he, he emphasizes three relationships: believers' relationship with Christ, believers' relationship with each other, believers' relationship to the world. So, so when you go home, when you uh, go out from this church, I hope you will read the whole chapter 15 because it's, gonna, it's, it's really going to speak to you. But today we're going to focus on the very first portion, which is, I think, very foundation and also very important for us, the relationship between believers and Christ. As we begin this message, I just have two simple statements that would be a foundation of what I'm about to preach next 20, 25 minutes but these are the two statements that I'm going to focus on. This is going to be my first point. You are not Jesus, and you need him. God bless. I, I, can do I can just finish it right there. You are not Jesus, and you need him. As simple as it sounds, don't you all agree with me that this is so hard to live out? With our mind and logic, yes, I know I'm not Jesus. Yes, we, we all know we are not Jesus. We just sang a praise about Jesus. We are not Jesus. But as soon as we exit this chapel, as soon as we enter our lives, we become God of our own lives and we, we live like we don't need Jesus. Let's face it, that's us. That's all of us. And Jesus starts with this imagery of the vine. Let's look at verse 1. What does he say about himself? He begins his passage with this statement. I am the true vine. And this is packed with a lot of meanings. Throughout the Old Testament, the image of the vine was used toward God's people, Israelites. Nothing hit the soul and the spirit of Israelites like this image of vineyard. It meant God's special care and provision for his people. However, every time the image of this uh, of this this uh, vine was used in the Old Testament. It was used in a negative connotation. In the Old Testament, Israel was the vine. But there were a vine that were fruitless. And as a result, the wrath of God was on them. As Israel was entering into the promised land, they were to prosper as a living example of how obedience bears the fruit of Righteousness. God promised to Israelites that he's going to bless them as they bear fruit, but they failed. And Jesus says, I am the true vine. In short, he's saying, I am going to do what you could not do, and I'm being what you have not been able to be. Jesus is taking the place of Israel, claiming to be this authentic, healthy vineyard the nation failed to become. He's entering into our lives that are full of mess. And he says, I got this. I am the true vine. And you are not. You are not the true vine. You have failed to produce fruit. You have failed to glorify God. You failed to please God. But don't you worry because I got your back. I am the true vine. Jesus is what we cannot be. No matter how hard you try. No matter how moral you want to be. No matter how good you live, you are going to fail and you are going to fall short. But our true vine, Jesus, is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. In verse 2, it says, as God prunes us, there would be fruits. To be a Christian is to bear fruits. As harsh as it sounds, as mean as it sounds, if there is no fruit, there is no genuine belief. If there is no fruit, there is no genuine belief. And we have to be very clear on what the definition of this fruit is. It surely is not some external religious activity like how many disciples I had, how many Bible studies you have led, how much much offering you have given out throughout the year, how many ministry you have served. But Apostle Paul clearly describes what they are in Galatians chapter 5. In Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. The reason why all these qualities, these spiritual characters are described in a singular word, fruit, not fruits, but fruit, is because they're all in sync. You cannot just have one thing and ignore the rest. You cannot just... Pursue after one thing and just, just, I don't care about the rest. You can't do that. They are all woven together to glorify God. And since we cannot grow in these areas with our own ability and strength and our own power and our, our knowledge, Jesus is pruning us so we can grow and bear more fruits like these. However, the main point of Jesus' teaching is not on bearing fruits. And this leads to our second point. Jesus focuses on abiding rather than production. Jesus focuses on abiding rather than production. You see, if, you, if you're walking on this tree and see a broken branch, like you pick it up, but you cannot tell which trees it is from, whether it's from apple tree or lemon tree or whatever trees you can think of. But when you see a branch that abides in a certain tree and, and bears certain fruits, then you can tell what tree this branch is from? Throughout the Bible, we are not commended to produce fruits. We're not commended to produce fruits. We are commended to abide in Jesus. And as a result of us abiding in Christ, fruits will automatically come out. Once again, in verse 4, Jesus tells us in order for us to produce fruits, the right fruits, we have to abide in him. And this word abide in Greek is meno, which means to remain or to stay in place, to make your home in. So abiding in terms of this metaphor refers to branch be, uh, remaining connected to the, to the vine. A branch itself has no life in it. But as it is connected to the vine, the life of the vine flows into it. No matter how fancy the branch looks like, no matter how awesome it is, no matter how big it is, no matter how beautiful it is, no matter how many green leaves and the flowers and the fruits are stuck on that branch, if if the branch is disconnected from the vine, it is a dead branch. A key to this understanding, what Jesus meant by abiding, is expression in me. It is a concept of position and identification. In the same way, we have no spiritual life in ourselves. We don't. But as we abide in Jesus, the life of the Holy Spirit flows into us. Our position is in his presence. So what does it mean to abide for us? For all of us who are gathered in this place, okay, this abiding is a good thing, but what, what does it mean for us? It means to rest in his presence. It means to rest in his love. Abiding in Jesus is not so much about doing, but being. It is not about doing so much for God, but simply being in a relationship with him. So let me encourage you today. Do not try to do great things for God, but try to live in relationship with God who has already done great things for you. I don't know. 9:30 service to 11:30. Like I thought you guys are a little bit more Pentecostal and like charismatic. Like you guys would respond, but that was really bad. Like you guys are as response was as bad as our youth students. All right. I'm like I'm aging every every week. Let, Let me do it. Let me rewind it again. All right. Let me encourage you today. All right. Do not try to do great things for God, but try to live in relationship with God who has already done great things for you. Can I get a witness? amen. You know how sad it is to beg for response? (laughs) Ultimately, Jesus didn't come for a religion, but he came for a relationship. He didn't come for religion, but he came to build relationship with us. And as you do, you bear much fruits because real change begins not with you being told what to do for God, but believing what God has done for you. In verse 5, one of the for me is one of the most challenging and scariest verse in the whole Bible. It says in verse 5, Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It is a simple but profound truth. Believers who do not abide in God are good for nothing. All your gain, all your success, all your wealth, all your health, all your possession. All the things that you thought was important in your life would mean nothing if you don't understand this truth. We cannot produce fruits on ourselves. Only way to accomplish our created purpose is to remain in Christ. Who is our true vine? Who is fulfilling the promise of God? And who is creating fruits through us? And in verse 7, from verse 7, Jesus teaches us that as we remain in Christ we will bear fruits of Christ-likeness. All the fruit of the Spirit is the very characters of our Savior and the Lord, Jesus Christ. And as we become more and more and more like Christ, there is transformation happening inside and it flows out to us. Our heart begins to reflect the values of God. So I, I, we just answer the question of what it means to abide. It means to rest in Christ. Then how do we abide in Christ? According to Jesus, it is answered in one word. It's obedience. So this is my third point. We, we abide in Jesus through obedience. We abide in Jesus through obedience. Let's look at verse 10. It says, if you keep my commandments you will abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Keeping commandments and abiding in love are synonymous. Theologian D.A. Carson said, our love for Jesus is the wellspring of our obedience to him, as our obedience is the demonstration of the reality of that love. Oh man, that's like a mic drop right there. Obedience is about laying down our ego, laying down our pride, laying down our agenda. I'm pretty sure many of you own your car, but when we own a car, we need to get the tire alignment checked periodically to keep the tires and steering wheel to face the same direction. As we drive our cars, what we end up seeing is that each tire turns to its own way, and later on, if we don't fix them at the right moment, it will go on its way, and the car will break down. Obedience is aligning ourselves to God. It is not aligning God to my own standard, but aligning myself to God. And our relationship with Jesus is parallel to the relationship between Jesus and the Father. His connection to the Father is a perfect example of our connection with Christ. He obeys and loves the Father, so we obey and love Jesus. And we should fill our lives with the things that stir our affection For Christ. This also means if you you want our love for Christ to grow in us, we need to cut off all the things that rob us of those affections for Christ. Let's look at verse one again. If you go back to verse one, Jesus says, I am the true vine. Which means there are a lot of fake vines and the false vines that we abide in. It is a warning on imitation vines. Let me ask you today, are you hooked up to the right thing? Or have you developed a false attachment to a false version of yourself? Or maybe opinions by other people? Because our faith grows even deeper when it finds its flow from the one true vine. And without any exaggeration, I can just straight up tell you Right now, in this very moment, which vine you're abiding in? I don't have a gift of prophecy, but I can. How? When I look at your cell phone, I can tell so easily. The survey says average Americans use four hours and 15 minutes on their smartphone from using their apps, texting, internet browsing, emailing, or calling. How do I know this? I search through my phone. Holla at your boy. (laughs) If you are to say we love Jesus, then the best way to spend my energy, my time, and my effort is giving myself over to a growing love for Jesus Christ. As we abide in Christ through obedience, then we start to see four changes in our lives. We, we start to enjoy these four benefits. First, as we abide in Christ through obedience, our prayer will be answered. In verse 7, it says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This does not mean God will be some kind of your personal genie in your life. But if you're connected to the vine and we're becoming more and more like Christ, then our prayer will not be a selfish prayer, but our prayer will be kind of requests that Jesus would make to his Father. As we think as God thinks, as we ask for the things aligning with His will, He will give to us. Second, as we abide in Christ through obedience, God is glorified. Our God is glorified. Let's, let's look at verse eight. <coughs> it says, "My Father is glorified by this, this: that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples." As we model the characters of Jesus, obeying His commands the same way Jesus has obeyed His Father, God receives all the credit. He delights to see us reflecting His own image and His characters. So you don't have to think about, how can I glorify God? What, what are some of the things that I can do to glorify God? Should I, should I join the praise team? Should I join the tech booth? Should I join the, uh, become the CG leader or do something to glorify God? No, 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 no. As you abide in him and as you bear fruits through Jesus, you are already glorifying him. Third, as you abide in Christ through obedience, love is stimulated. As we abide in Christ, the character of Jesus begins to emerge. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 says something beyond our expectation. God is not only telling us to love him or love one another, but God himself says, I am the love. God himself is the love. Because God is love, as you pursue after God, people around you will notice this divine quality developing within you. Lastly, as you abide in Jesus through obedience, joy will overflow. Joy will overflow. Let's read verse 11 together, shall we? These things I have spoken to you. Oh, that was pretty bad. Come on. Like, let's, what, was, was it too Sunday school-like? Come on. Let's, verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Joy is not some kind of superficial happiness or shallow cheerfulness. Happiness is fragile and frail. It can be affected by external circumstances and situations. So happiness comes and goes. As you wake up, you can be happy, but in the evening, you can be unhappy. Happiness is very conditional. On the other hand, Joy is built on ultimate spiritual realities. As I belong to Jesus and he belongs to me and that I am positioned in his presence and he is what I will never be, even though my situation is not getting better, even though I fail again and again and again, even though I'm so weak and I'm so fragile, even though I'm not perfect, I still can be joyful. And as Jesus abides in us, the confidence that comes from his his, his presence replaces my fear into joy. One of my favorite preachers, Chuck Swindle, once said, Joy is a flag that flies over the castle of our hearts, announcing that the king is in residence. Have you ever been surfing? Like, I'm not talking about, like, SeaWorld or, like, like, you know, like, kiddie pool and, like, surfing experience, like, with the fake waves. I'm not talking about that. Like, real-time surfing. Um, few years ago, um, it has been a while, like, seven, eight years ago, I, I, I went to Hawaii with my parents and uh, my family. And my brother and I uh, took this beginner's course of, of, for surfing, right? So, we took it, and it was difficult. Like, I kept on falling and falling. My brother did it so well, but I, I don't know. Maybe I was blaming my height, but, like, I, was, I, I don't think that's it, right? I mean, it was, it was really bad. So, like, those people take pictures of you to, first of all, they want to sell it, but to keep it as memory, right? So all my brother's pictures are like this and like that. All my pictures are like, like my, you know, like, oh, it, was, it was ugly. So I'm like, I'm not buying this, guys. But, but the trainer from the back, like he, as he was pushing us, he kept on yelling to me, you know, just depend on the wave. Don't look down. Don't try to control the wave. Let the wave carry you. He was yelling at the back, and I, I was listening to him. I'm like, I can't do it. I kept on looking, at that. I, I kept on looking down, and I get scared, and I'm like trying to control, and I, I just fell, fell, and fell. It was like a one-hour lesson just falling for me. But spiritually, it works the same way. God starts the wave. All we need is to ride on that wave, aligning ourselves, seeing the, looking ahead at the same direction, fully depending on the wave, you and the wave to be one. And let the wave control you as you surrender to the wave fully. I want to confess to you, it is possible for me as a pastor to serve the church, to serve the youth ministry without abiding in Christ. It's so easy to do that. But also for you, it is possible to come out to the worship, singing praise, raising your hand and listening to the message, going to the small group and being in the Bible study without abiding in Christ. However, any good we do, And any success we enjoy will have no lasting impact. On the other hand, when we obey, when we abide in Christ, when we allow His strength to flow through us, the Lord produces fruits in me, making me more and more and more like Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to open up your word, that you would speak to us, that you would direct and guide us, that even in the text, you would remind us that you have done for us what we cannot do for ourselves, that you are the true vine and we are not. Real fruitfulness will not come from our efforts and our ability, but come from abiding and being with you. And you have made a way for that in your life and death and the resurrection. We thank you that you cover all of our sins. Jesus, the good and true vine. It's for your beautiful name I pray.